Welcome into another episode of ESPN's Aussie Hoops Hour. My name's Kane Pittman. Alongside me, as always, Olga Nulich. He has feet on the ground in Japan, and we are recording this podcast about 90 minutes after the Boomers have got the job done in an absolute must-win game. They take care of Japan 109-89. to It means they are out of the first group in the FIBA World Cup with a 2-1 record. It wasn't unblemished like perhaps some people predicted, Olgs, but... Uh, you were there tonight. You were live in the building. We're loving everything that you're doing for ESPN. You're on absolute fire. But tonight, I think just a small little bit of tension entering this game. And uh, fortunately, the Boomers were able to put everyone at ease very early. This was such a weird game to go into because the overwhelming expectation was that not only the Boomers would win, but they would win by a considerable amount. <laughs> it, this was going to be a 20 or 30 point win. It just always was. But the crowd was unbelievable. It was like a sea of red. They are so loud. It's crazy. And we knew that going in. Um, and then just contextually, the nature of this being a must-win game. If you lose, you're out. Um, so, And all of the pressure was on the Boomers because the Boomers were expected to go through. The Boomers were expected to probably win the group. All of a sudden, they're in a situation where they might not even get through to the second round. There was a lot of pressure on him. So it was it felt tricky going into it. Um and it it, it never really felt that way <laughs> during the game. It, from from the tip, it was like pretty clear in this game that the boomers were just way too big, way too talented across the board, uh, way too well drilled on both ends of the floor. Um it was just Japan was taking a lot of contested jumpers. It's what it's what they've been doing for a lot of this tournament, but it's it's, it's it worked against Finland. So, man, if, if, if shots fell, like you knew what was going to happen. Um, but it, it never really looked uh, in doubt for the Boomers in this one. And, um, yeah, like they, it, it, it wasn't unblemished. They lost to Germany. But that was a tough game. We knew that was going to be the tough game of this round. And so, so far, everything is going not exactly to plan, but nothing has really gone completely awry. So we're going to be able to take time to... I think reflect on the overall two and one. I want to get to that a little bit later in the show. And clearly we're going to throw forward a little bit to uh, what almost certainly is going to be Australia, Slovenia, still games to go in that group there. But we think uh, Friday night can't get any bigger than this. Australia versus Slovenia, revenge on the mind of those guys. Luka Doncic is going to be coming out. <laughs> uh, but I do want to get to the pregame for this game. And there was a little bit of speculation. There was thoughts. Everyone had ideas what the boomers should do with the lineup. Brian Gorton said after the Germany game where the start was poor, and you can use whatever descriptor you want to use. I'll stick with poor. And Brian Gorton said the effort, the controllable stuff was off the first four to five minutes. One to two guys were asleep during the game. He used the words two dead bodies and a few other words that perhaps I'm not allowed <laughs> to use on this podcast, but that really did uh, open up the possibility that we've seen slow starts through the warm-up games, uh, but it had become a trend. And once you get to the situation where you do have that slip-up, there can be no other slow starts, particularly when you're coming up against a host nation on their home floor who can be streaky from three-point land and perhaps can get their tail up and start to feel confident. Josh Green was the guy that came into the starting lineup, Olgs, and quite honestly, immediate results. Yeah, he... Uh... This was the plan, and Gordon said it in the in the post game press conference. He had said it throughout the campaign as well. 
through the warm-up games. This was the plan. The plan was to start Josh Green because we like his fit there. We like the way he can uh, he can stretch the floor. He's he's a more traditional three uh, three and D guy. He can spot up better than Matisse Leibel can. I think there's trust that his on-ball defense and just his general ability to pick up the ball is a bit more reliable than Matisse Leibel, uh, whereas Leibel sort of plays in sort of an erratic kind of way. He's, he's more of a nuisance. He's there to cause a bit of chaos. Uh, whereas Josh Green, really solid on the ball. He'll stay in front, move his feet, that sort of thing. And and I think that's sort of been the difference, right? Defensively, the the, the starts have been iffy. You know, guy, you know, guys driving to the rim. Um, I, I think the start of that, that Germany game, it was just a lot of open shots for Germany. Whereas in this one, obviously... Josh Green was picking up 94 feet and was making it really tough for those for those Japanese guards. And then on the other end, again, just having someone who can spot up in the corner, right? It's, it's that still doesn't seem natural for someone like Matisse Thibel. You know, he comes on and he can bring a ton of energy off the bench. Josh Green is is more natural in just like standing in a corner and hitting open shots. And we saw it was one of the first plays of the game. He, Giddy whipped it to him, hits a three, gets fouled, four point play, and so we saw a bunch of those where. Japan dropped into a really bad zone. That's one of the weakest zones I've ever seen. They're already little, and Australia is already huge. Australia is obviously going to pass like through and over that zone, and it was just a lot of whip passes to corners and Josh Green out there spotting up. I just think it's just a way more natural fit, and if you're going to start games, you'd rather start games with a fit that is just more seamless than, than what they were going with. Well, this was an all-out assault from Australia on the paint to start the game. And I know you mentioned that one three-point shot that Josh Green did knock down. And that was a perfect start. And it kind of emphasized exactly what you're talking about, but what we thought could go down uh, in the pregame, on the pregame show as well. Uh, But they started one for 10 from three. So it's not like this team was shooting the ball well. They weren't able to hit from the outside, but it didn't matter because uh, in the paint, they were utterly dominant. 20 to four in the first quarter and four zip on fast break points. But you (laughs) you like the pace. And... I think you hinted to it, but to me, uh, whether it's uh, why the situation that Matisse Thibault's been in in Philadelphia, where at times it felt like they didn't even want him to have the ball or want him to shoot the ball, but Josh Green just naturally, when you think about what he was able to do in college and even through junior basketball, he's an aggressive player. He's a scorer. And it's not just him having the willingness to shoot the ball from the three. He attacks people. And there was multiple times where if the closeout came, he's like, fine, I'm going to put the ball on the floor. And Multiple times during this game, I thought he was close to putting his plan in his feet, taking off and trying to put someone on a poster. He still had some nice finishes <laughs> around the rim, but I think we could have a Josh Green poster coming at some time through this tournament. And overall, he plays 21 minutes, 15 points, five for seven from the field, at three, th- three for three on those two-point attempts that uh, I was just discussing and the four steals. Massive game, huge game. And, and now it does set up uh, the, the matchup with Luca. In a, in a few days' time, so Josh Green, you couldn't have asked for anything more. Yeah, and and something on Josh Green, I think a lot of us forget one of his elite skills is his ability to pass the ball, um, and I think you, you will see that in stretches, and especially when 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 there are hard closeouts on him and he puts the ball on the floor, like you said. Um, but it's also running. He facilitated so much of the Boomers' ability to, to push and transition during this game. Um, and I think there will be, and it's something when you coming in, and I spoke to both of these guys about it, there will be a partnership that develops between those two, Josh Giddy and Josh Green. Uh, whether it's running in transition, whether it's Josh Giddy finding Josh Green on cuts and things like that. You have an elite passer and an elite cutter working together. These are two really, really complementary skill sets. And so 
it, it was obviously going to work. It was just Josh Green had an elbow injury in camp and then he had an ankle injury in that warm-up game against against France. And so he just was never able to really kind of plant his feet in that starting lineup like Brian Gorgian wanted, wanted him to. This was a really good way to put himself in a not a, a low-risk environment because obviously the stakes were so high, but against a, a relatively easier team than the ones that they're going to face. And I think it's a really, really good sort of reps for Josh Green playing alongside those starters going into a really important game and what's probably going to be a really tough game against Luka Doncic and Slovenia. So five guys in double digits overall. And if we fast forward to the end of this game, we can continue to chat through it all. But uh, those fast break points I mentioned, 21 to 10 points in the paint, 68 to 34 and points off turnover, uh, 21 to nine. So it was a dominant performance overall. It did get cut back to 13 points in the fourth quarter. You're in the building. I felt like there was just starting to get a little bit of noise and perhaps a little bit of hope of some sort of wild situation going on in Japan. And let's remember, with around eight minutes to go a couple of nights earlier, they were trailing double digits to Finland and they were able to get the job done. Now, clearly Finland has been incredibly disappointing in this World Cup, but this is a Japan team that could have potentially had some belief And this is where I want to turn the conversation back to Josh Giddy. We spoke about it on the pregame show on ESPN. I thought the last two and a half minutes against Germany where Giddy scored on back-to-back baskets, he showed confidence and it looked like he was starting to find the touch and starting to realize that he can be a physical beast in the FIBA game and he can put the shoulder into guys and he can get to his spots and he can score. I thought he should have got the, the ball again late in that game and he didn't. But we saw this in this stretch when it was cut to 13 points in the fourth quarter, seven straight points for Giddy. The game was over. It's the second straight game that he's looked like he can be a guy in the fourth quarter as a scorer, not a facilitator. Yeah, he, he just has to be way more dynamic. He has to he has to sort of lean into playing downhill. Um, we, we saw that. We've seen that in every single game they've played. That when he plays downhill, when he gets two feet in the paint, this team is so effective and he's able to, to, to get on the rim. Um, and I don't think, I don't think we've seen enough of it. I don't think we've seen him fully reach his potential as the lead guard of this team. Um, and I spoke to him after this game, he's, he's getting there, right? It's just, it's, yeah. it's a lot of reps. It's a lot of learning how to play with these guys too. Um, but yeah, like the, the end of this game was just the perfect, perfect example of this is who you have to be in order for this team to reach its ceiling this is the sort of player you have to be. And and I would say the same thing for like a Xavier Cooks where him, where, where the boom is leaning into him and him getting the reps that he needs. Uh, him getting, Xavier Cooks getting more comfortable will help this team reach its ceiling as well. We've spoken about this as well. Um, but but yeah, the, the giddy factor is so interesting because it, 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 as much as Patty will be the, the main scorer or at least the where, where everyone's eyes are, when we're looking for, you know, the first option to score, where, where are the boomers' eyes looking? Um, and, and you look at all these pieces, Giddy is the head of the snake. Giddy is the barometer. He's the pace setter. He's the floor general of this team. And he basically where Giddy goes, this team goes. Um, and and the end of this game, it was weird. I, I went down to the mix zone. Uh, so I didn't get to watch the sort of, there was like two minutes in the fourth quarter, maybe between like, maybe after like five, there was five minutes remaining. And I'm, I get down, I'm like, oh, Giddy's somehow on like 24 points. How the hell did this happen? He had just taken over. Uh, and granted, it was him being 6'8 against really tiny Japanese guards, but he needs that sort of aggression. And he needs to, to, to be that dynamic and be that assertive in order for this team to be successful. 
definitely the size stuff does matter. And that's why I totally appreciate why you're acknowledging that. Uh, he also did that against Germany as well, though. This is something that he can do. He's improved yeah. as a finisher around the rim. We saw that in the second year uh, in the NBA. And that stretch that I mentioned, the seven points there came between the 343 mark and the 227. So I don't know if you were trying to navigate some local fans and heading down the stairs, Olgs, but <laughs> that was the two layups again, taking control. And then he knocked down his second three for the night. And by the way, he hadn't hit a three uh, in the tournament yet. He, he gets a couple tonight, which you know makes him feel good because I, I liked that on a couple of occasions when Giddy was open, he took the shot. And it's a work in progress. That's fine. But he has to take the shot. And that's what I like to see, even if he's going to miss a couple of those. So I think overall, he continues to get better. And 26 points, 11 assists, that's a pretty handy line. I want to get to Xavier Cooks, but I do just quickly want to reference Patty Mills as well because I, I already mentioned the five scorers in double digits and he was the fifth scorer out of those. And I don't know whether you would have predicted that in any game. Uh, and if you were to predict that, I'm not sure that you would have said, yeah, the Boomers are going to win by 20 plus points, no matter who they're playing. So that's a huge positive. Patty's still tonight, you know, looking for his shot a little bit there. You know, Trevor Gleason mentioned it on the call, but... There was a couple of times there where maybe he could have uh, taken the three, but it looked like he was just trying to get to the mid-range, and it just looks like he's still trying to find total comfort. But nine assists, Olgs, that's fun because he was a facilitator yeah. for the Boomers previously, but that was when he was the guy. He was the only guy there. But now to have 20 assists between Josh Giddy and Patty Mills, I think that's a huge positive. Yeah, and, and I think it's a lot of... You can put so much credit to this to Josh Kitty learning how to play alongside Shea Gilgis-Alexander for the past two years. But you have someone like Patty Mills who can catch, rip, get on the rim, and you have cutters like Josh Kitty. If if Kitty's hitting the the three ball, that expands everything even more. I I think, you know, Patty Mills is 35, but he's still unbelievably quick. And so his ability to catch the ball, uh, really hard closeouts, you know, first step get by his guy and all, all of a sudden you have this advantage and if you have someone like giddy cutting you have josh green in the corner you just there, there's, there's so much space on the floor and and, and these boomers that they're, they're, they're slowly getting there they're learning how to play together the flow is, is is coming there so you know patty as a facilitator there's a ton of potential there i think that there's potential in almost everyone on this team being a facilitator in some sort of way um and one thing i wanted to one last thing on giddy before we we move on to i know you want to talk about xavier cooks um I, I remember I, I mentioned earlier in this campaign against Venezuela where they saw that Giddy was going to be the main guy for, for Australia. He was going to attack. And so they double teamed him on the inbounds, right? They, did, they just denied him with two guys, didn't let him catch the ball. That game against Germany, we remember the, the blood rule that, that meant he couldn't be on for Australia's, what was basically Australia's last you know, legitimate possession. Um, there was a German, I don't know if this was, this was caught on the cameras, and you tell me if I'm wrong. Um, there was a German player who, pointed to the ref or who got the ref's attention, grabbed Giddy's arm and showed the ref, look, there is blood on this guy's arm. So they were, they were, I guess, so concerned about the prospect of, of Giddy continuing to, to sort of be the creator for the boomers down the stretch that this, this man, this German man, I don't know who it was. I've got to go back and check to see if there's any vision of it. He grabbed Giddy's arm, made sure the ref had the attention of him mm-hmm. and said, look, he's bleeding. And obviously Giddy had to go off the floor. They called the timeout, still couldn't, check giddy back in because of some weird fever or um but th- there is there's an understanding around this tournament and around this this island that we're on of the potential of this team when giddy is finding his way as the main creator of this team 
And by the way, they put a bandage on his arm. Like, you can hold the game up 10 further seconds and let the man come back in. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous, let's be honest. They called a timeout. Australia called a timeout. They couldn't check him back in. Very weird. And then the play that the boomers ran felt a bit stagnant. And so that and so as, as stagnant as, as things sometimes have looked over, over this tournament offensively, especially in the half court, and especially with sometimes when it's giddy out there with no spacing around him, you still want him. You, you still want him out there as your main guy. You still want him out there creating and making decisions. And I like the explosiveness of the Australian offense for the most part tonight. And they had stretches against Germany where they looked good, but I think that'll be part of the process as well. If teams moving forward do get to the point where it's like, okay, let's throw multiple bodies, let's deny Josh Giddy the ball. I think then that's where Patty can be dangerous and they're not going to want to leave him alone. And then Joe Ingles, we've seen, has been incredibly effective for mine. The three ball didn't fall tonight, but I think he's had a nice tournament so far. And even entering this game, I wondered if there was ways that they can get Joe Ingles on the floor more often because he, when he's been on the floor, the Boomers have been uh, really strong so far. I think we do have to talk about Xavier Cooks, though. One of the unbelievable lines. And Jesus. Folks, how many conversations have we had about Xavier Cooks? We both love this man. We love what he's done for the Sydney Kings. We love the fact that he's now gone to the NBA. But I was excited tonight to see him have that type of performance. Heap of people watching this game on ESPN. And maybe for the first time, getting this experience of Xavier Cooks and seeing everything mm. that he brings to the table and walking away going, Okay, yeah, now I understand why this guy's in the NBA. He's unbelievable. So if I had said to you at the start of the tournament, do you think there's going to be a game where Xavier Cooks takes more shots than any other Australian in the squad? (laughs) I didn't think I would have said yes, just because of the way that he plays. And it's not like he's a guy that's out there demanding the ball. For the Sydney Kings, yes, they ran the offense through him. But that's not necessarily how it's being played with the Boomers. And it wasn't the case tonight. This was all him being in the right spots. Just ridiculous energy and ridiculous hustle. And he made his own opportunities time and time and time again. I was trying to figure out what the individual offensive rebounding record was for World Cup. But 10 offensive (laughs) rebounds is just, it's nuts. It's unbelievable. When 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 Xavier Cooks with, was with the Sydney Kings, I think the thing that a lot of us pointed to as to why he was so elite was because he always found the the really good balance between being the MVP of that team and being the connector. The Sydney yep. Kings were generally pretty talented when he was on that team, and so sometimes he had to step up and be the guy, and he had the capacity to do that. But then there was also times where it was Derek Walton Jr. next to him, or it was, it was Baylen Adams next to him, or DJ Vasiljevic, or Jarrell Martin, or these guys, and he had to be the connector. He was just the glue that 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 pull all these these talented pieces together on this boomers team the assumption and in the nba he does this the assumption was okay he's the connector all of those connecting skills he has that's going to translate over there he's going to have talented pieces around him and they're going to go to work in this game and i think through other stretches of this tournament we've seen him be that guy but we've also seen him be the mvp as well so it's not just him being being someone who's you know slipping those those on balls um or just being a guy who creates from the top and his dribble handoffs and things like that. But it's also him, you know, being an outlet on off, you know, off drives or even doing some stuff in the post, like quick flashes in the post and, and finish around them. And then today, something that I really hope this team leans into is Xavier Cooks running down the middle of the middle of the floor, being an outlet when it comes to, to running in transition and just putting heat on the rim. And that was MVP Xavier Cooks. Right, that's the that's the guy that we've seen with the Sydney Kings for the past few seasons. That's why he was the NBL, the MVP of the NBL. 
that is Xavier Cooks. And if they can channel a lot of what he brought tonight into these games against these tougher European teams, that's a look that those teams aren't used to seeing. Um, I, I think I think he changes everything. I think he is the barometer for how good this team can be. And there may be some people Oggs, that will point out and say, well, yes, he was 12 for 20 from the field. So he had those 20 field goal attempts and 10 offensive rebounds because there was a couple of plays where he got a couple of shots up and a couple of offensive rebounds on the same play. But what <laughs> I would say is that that's a skill. There is not many players that yeah. have the athleticism and the motor to get on the trampoline and two, three, four times again, gather your own ball. So whatever, if, if that bumped up the stats a little bit, I don't care because those are the players that are making a difference for this team and not many guys can do it. Yeah, do, like, do you know what's worse than not than, than putting your uh, miss back in? Uh, not getting that offensive <laughs> rebound. Like you, like as in, so, and people have to remember, like ten offensive rebounds. Offensive rebound is is a type of shot creation that that gives your giving your team second looks, second possessions in a tournament like this, where possessions are so important, mm. is unbelievably valuable. So, anyone who who is thinking that he's padding stats, no, go away, shut up. It's nearly it's two a.m. here. Don't give me that. I, I don't have time for that. Uh, a couple blocks as well for Xavier Cook. So absolutely stuffed the stat sheet. Uh, Dwight Breath picked up three blocks of his own, including a, a couple of mm. massive ones. I think uh, the other guy, when we talk about energy and tonight, perhaps it didn't necessarily show up in the box score as much as it has in other games, but he's clearly vital to this rotation and absolutely a player that uh, Brian Gorgian trusts. And uh, along with Xavier Cooks, they're kind of coming in at the same point in the rotation, it's usually around the six-minute mark of the first quarter. Xavier Cooks, uh, the other player being Dante Exum. I think he's had a really, really strong mm. tournament so far. And it doesn't necessarily have to be him scoring the ball. He did have a seven-point stretch in the third quarter against Germany in the last game, which is the first time you've really seen the, the, the explosion in a short period from a scoring perspective. But it is fun to see this guy now as a mature head in this team, a steady in presence, while still having the chaotic energy that allows him to make these little plays. So when those two are on the floor together, it just feels like everyone's flying around all over the place. They're going to gather every single loose ball and they're going to play at a pace that I think suits the boomers. Yeah, I, I think we didn't see as much from him today because I think Giddy was playing particularly well. Sure, um, sure. And we've generally seen them just replace each other. We we have seen stretches where they played together. And I think that's one of the small ball lineups that's really, really fun to watch because it's so big, it's so tall, uh, it's long, and and these guys can just switch everything. And the, the thing I think we forget about Dante Exum is not only is he a really good creator and really good insurance for Giddy in that respect, but he's but he's but he's a high level shooter as well. And and again, we, I think we a lot of people just gloss over it because everyone just remembers the start of his career that he was not a non shooter, but he just he just was he was a guy who you, you leave in the corner that you don't you don't really close out on that guy. He developed over his time in Europe uh, a forty plus percent three point shooting. He is one of the elite spot up shooters on this team, and I think we forget that we we talk about this. A lot of people talk about this team not having perimeter shooting. Dante Exum is one of those guys. Um, and so I think he's so important from that respect. But he's he's that that small ball unit is it is Dante Exum and it is Josh Giddy alongside him. And then you, you can basically just mix and match whoever. It's it's so Dante Xavier Cooks and then just go crazy with the other sort of wing 
bigger guards that you want to that you want to throw around there. We've seen Joe Ingles part of it. We've seen Matisse Thybul obviously be a big part of that unit too. It, it's just Dante's ability to sort of get downhill, put his head on the rim, um, create for others. It's it's really important when so many of these teams, and I think Finland suffers from this, and I think a lot of other teams do it too, where the starting point guard goes and sits, and all of a sudden the creation's out the window. They don't have anyone to sort of to control things, to settle things down. And I think the boomers have that not only in Dante Exxon, but also in someone like Joe Ingles. They also have that secondarily in someone like Patty Mills. They have these pieces, and I think that's a huge advantage for them. So the boomers, uh, all told, get the job done tonight. And uh, you've referenced it a couple of times, and I think it's absolutely the point. I think there's going to be a balance now leading into two nights off and then leading into Friday night. Again, we suspect or expect that it's going to be Slovenia and Luka Doncic, which is going to be just a humongous game uh, on Friday night. I don't know what else you would be doing other than watching the Boomers and Slovenia on ESPN. I'm already excited for it. Uh, But I think there's going to be a balance now. And this is always the case in tournament playoffs between saying, well, okay, nice performance against Finland, despite some shaky moments in the first half. Good patches against Germany, but a couple of runs that ultimately Mm -hmm. proved costly at the start of the game and the start of the fourth quarter. Then really pretty comprehensive against Japan. So where are the boomers actually at? We discussed this pre-tournament. And look, I was just super high on Germany. I I still think that Germany, and and in my pre-predictions, which I know is a crazy thing to do for a FIBA World Cup, because yes, I'm not claiming (laughs) that I had only good predictions because I also had France as advancing to the quarterfinals. Clearly that's not going to happen. (laughs) But Germany was the team that I had, even in this next group, that looks like it's going to be uh, Germany, Australia, Slovenia, Georgia. I had Australia and Germany as the two teams escaping. I just think they're a really awesome outfit, even without Franz Wagner. So I did still walk away from the other day saying, okay, this is a blow, but this is an outstanding Germany team. And it was a three-point game. And there was just little things that went wrong that if you win that, you, you feel better about yourself, but maybe the boomers need a little, a little a little bit of a rocket and maybe they just needed to sharpen up a little bit, but all told they're still in the game. But where do you think they're at overall? Uh, I th- I think the boomers are still, I, I still think they're the best team in Okinawa currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, we, we always, again, we always knew that Germany could match up with them from a talent perspective, as far as like the top level twos, and also from a depth perspective, we knew that Germany was going to be really, really good. Um, and the the how tight the game was was an indication of where the teams are. They, these are two really good teams. It is that 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 is just what it is. Uh, I think Australia has the depth to uh, be better and more sustainable over the course of a tournament than someone like Slovenia. Um, and and I, I do think that they're, they're clearly better than Georgia. Uh, they beat Georgia in a warm up game. They were up. 20 some odd points before they just threw random line outs lineups out there just to, to see what was up. Um, the I, I'm, I'm curious at just how this, this new rounds and they're now in group K here in Okinawa. Um, I'm curious to see how it's going to, how it's going to play out. So Australia lost to Germany. Germany now has the tiebreaker against them. Germany will have to play Slovenia. Uh, of course, Australia has to beat Slovenia. Australia has to win all of their games going yes. forward. Uh, in order to win this World Cup. But especially to get out of Okinawa, they need to beat Slovenia, and then they need to beat Georgia. Assuming those are the two teams that go through, they will more than likely be the teams that go through. Um, there is a, a non-zero chance that Germany goes and plays Slovenia and doesn't win. 
the the word around Okinawa here and for context, like the players hotel is right across us. We see these guys every day. Uh, the word around Okinawa is that Franz Wagner is more than likely not playing any more games in Okinawa. His ankle is not in a place where he'll be able to play any of these second round group phase games. So Germany will more than likely go up against Slovenia without Franz Wagner. Um, now that wasn't the biggest concern against Australia, but they did have to get a really good shooting effort from Dennis Ruder, a really good shooting effort from Mauro Lowe. Um, and Schroeder had to sort of shoulder more of the load than perhaps he wants to. And so not having one of your main creators, arguably your most talented player, is a blow. And we'll see if Slovenia can do something. If Slovenia does beat Germany and Australia beats Slovenia, then you have a three-way tie. It'll come down to the points differential between those three teams in the matchups between those three teams. Australia only lost to Germany by three points. There is There is a chance that Australia could finish at the top of this new group, assuming some of those... Uh, results pan out that way and there's a chance that they do i think there's a good chance that they do actually assuming slovenia could get something done against germany um so when we're still looking at what we've seen i still think australia is the most talented team i think they have the most i still think they have the most potential of any team i just think uh they're still they're still figuring a lot out they're still figuring out lineups figuring out what works who is effective with who uh what sort of coverages do they want to play and i think this game against slovenia is going to be a real indication of where this team is from a progress perspective. So heading into tonight, 10 guys on the Boomers were playing at least 10 minutes per game. Brian Gorgian's spoken about it a lot, to your point, just about the rotations and trying to figure yeah, figure where everyone fits. And I do still suspect that at some point that's going to shorten a little bit, and it might just happen as early as this Friday night, uh, again, against uh, Slovenia, we suspect. But you, know, you see it on the box score tonight. Jack White's play, he was averaging over 10 minutes per game. Ian, he plays one minute tonight. Uh, and they certainly leaned uh, more on Josh Giddy over 30 minutes. And uh, also we saw, uh, obviously, uh, Josh Green coming into the starting lineup was over 20 as well. So it's a good point. They're still working through that rotation. As far as Slovenia is concerned, it's going to be fascinating because obviously they have been there before, a lot of these guys in this situation. I think the depth is better for Australia in terms of potentially over the course of 40 minutes wearing Luca down because it might be Josh Green to start. Dante Exum's had time on him before in a major tournament. Matisse Thibel, obviously, we know, came into the starting lineup going back to this game. So I like the defensive stuff. And then it's really going to be Luca and the three-point shooters. So if you go through the stats to this point in time for the entire tournament for, for Slovenia, they're averaging... Uh, 22 three-point attempts. This is players not named Luca. 22 three-point attempts and only 17 twos. So around 60% of their shot attempts when it's not Luca are threes. So it's going to be guys standing on the perimeter. Luca is going to tr- draw multiple bodies and your rotations have to be good. You have to be smart. And look, that they will hopefully learn a fair bit from the game against Germany, particularly that 10-0 run to start the fourth quarter where they were cut apart with the switching defense. So there's lots to look at. Yeah. The pick and roll game maybe has been a little bit of a problem defensively, um, but they've got a couple of days to to figure this thing out. So where do you? Where does your head take you when guarding Luca? Because so the, I think a lot of people will have sort of a, a level of PTSD about the Germany game, and it was because it was very switch heavy. It was very Nick K switch heavy, and that just allowed Dennis Schroeder and Mauro Lolo to just size up these bigger, slower footed guys and either either hit shots over them because they were gapping or get by them because they couldn't keep up with them. Uh, with Luca, I, if, I mean, if you're 
relying on switching a lot, and let's say you're playing Nick Kay a ton of minutes, I mean, good luck with that. Um, I mean, if you're if you've got Nick Kay on an island with Luka Doncic, res- with respect to Nick Kay, who is largely a great defender, I'm I'm not I'm taking Luka Doncic there every day of the week. Um, like, do you, is that the tack that you take, or are you straight up trapping Luka Doncic, getting the ball out of his hands and making someone else? beat you making someone else hit, hit big shots. I spoke with Andrew Gaze tonight. Uh, that's that's what he suggested. He he says get the ball out of Luca's hands. Make someone else beat you. But you what like what what the, what where do you lean in that situation? Well I'm certainly not going to disagree with Andrew Gaze. That's for damn sure. But I think to that point <laughs> that's true. I think you got to pressure Luca Doncic maybe three quarter court. You just got to try and wear this guy down. Remember the boomers are going to have an extra yeah. night off compared with Slovenia heading into this game. And again, the guys I referenced, Green, yeah. Thibel, uh, and also Dante Exum. You've got three guys that you can you can rotate on him. And yes, you're going to have to throw multiple bodies. But when you come back to the coverage on Dennis Schroeder, particularly in the fourth quarter, I'm not I'm steering clear. And, and I know you mentioned Nikkei, and I know why, because he was often the guy in the fourth quarter that was in the matchup. I don't yeah. think it was necessarily bad defense from Nikkei. I thought the problem was that Germany were too comfortable with being able to identify the matchup that they wanted and they just set a screen and if the first screen didn't get the matchup they wanted, they'd set another one or they'd set a double drag and they just knew how to get the matchup and it was too easy. And Australia was just like, yep, we'll just switch. It's fine. So I think if you're playing against Luka Doncic, it's another level again. You can't let him completely dictate what you're doing defensively and get comfortable. I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, and and I think the other thing is and and you mentioned it in this game where the rotation was slightly tightened. Yeah. Uh, as in, and I think it's I think it's going to continue to be tightened, which means I think we see a lot more Josh Green than we have over the last few games, obviously. Uh, and I think that means we might see less Matisse Thibel than we're used to seeing. I think we see more Xavier Cooks than we have these previous games. I just think people are getting. I think Brian Gorgian is getting more comfortable with these guys in certain lineups. I think he's seeing where guys are excelling. And I, and and for a matchup like this, it would not surprise me if they lean into Xavier Cooks as a really versatile defender who can do a lot of things on that end of the floor. If you're trying to trap, he's a really good guy who can go out, show on Luka Doncic, and then recover as quickly as possible. That there aren't many better big man defenders who do it like Xavier Cooks can. And then there was a reason why Dennis Schroeder didn't want to shoot over Xavier Cooks. He blocked him the first time on on the switch, and he he never wanted to attack him again. And so if you there is a world where you can go to like a switching lineup that has Xavier Cooks in it. And if it's Luka Doncic versus Xavier Cooks, obviously I'm still taking Luka Doncic, but I think that's like, that's a way less scary proposition for Australia having Xavier Cooks out on an island with someone like Luka Doncic than any of the other bigs on that roster. Yeah. And that's also remember when Xavier Cooks was first becoming a professional and through college and all these different things, it really was a three. It's only been like over the last yeah. five years as the games continued to change that now he's playing small ball five and defending the paint and becoming this great rim protector. But he's got the athleticism to defend on the perimeter, uh, perhaps more so than some of the other peaks, whether it's Reith or, or Nick Kay as well. Jack White certainly had some some decent moments in the first couple of games as well. But because there are so many new bodies, that's why I'm not, not overly critical about Brian Gorgian at this stage. I'm not having a, a crack at anyone. It's just highlighting that now you're in a situation where you can't lose. That's just where the boomers are at. And this is what we love about World Cup basketball. So I already mentioned it, but I'm so fired up for this game on Friday night. I think it's going to be awesome. Is there any other final boomers points or even points from elsewhere? Because 
I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but you're just looking at what Canada is doing right now and they are lining up for that quarterfinal mm -hmm. game. If the Boomers end up, you know, fingers crossed, finishing in the top two, it's a possible quarterfinal with Canada and uh, Josh Giddy's a good friend and teammate, SGA, is just easing his way into the tournament. Unbelievable stats. Minutes have been low because they haven't needed him because their plus minus is about plus 7 million through three games. They've been resting people too, Canada has. Crazy. Lou, Lou, Lou Dort did, didn't play in their, their, their game two games ago, which is absurd. Imagine having imagine having the luxury to be able to do that. Um, yeah, I, I'm i so in... I, I don't know how to... It's, it's a weird tournament to, to gauge. Um, as in, if you're a Boomers fan, would you rather go up against Canada or would you rather go up against one of those high-level Euro teams? Let's say it is a, a Latvia or it is Spain. You know, which... which what what's a more like like for like matchup for the boomers? Do they prefer to go up against the NBA heavy, more athletic sort of team? Does that maybe suit their style a little bit more? Um, you know, we we saw what Germany did. Germany like those, those skilled bigs. They're just they're just so smart. And I, I I wonder. I genuinely don't know who the boomers would prefer to go up against. Obviously, Canada is doing incredible things. Right, they were down against Latvia, and then all, and then they just flicked a switch, and all of a sudden won by 20, 30 points. Right, they they have the talent to do that, um, but I genuinely don't know if the preference is to go against a team like Canada or a team like the USA eventually in this tournament, or against one of those really high level Euro teams who can just wear you down in the FIBA game because everyone on those rosters are just so damn seasoned. I tell you what, the real preference is just playing in a quarterfinal at this point in time. Two more wins for the Boomers against uh, Slovenia and Georgia, we certainly hope. Uh, we're going to podcast again at some point. Uh, one final note, we should also mention New Zealand. So as we're recording this, people might listen mm. to this podcast after this game has already happened. But New Zealand playing for an opportunity to get through to the second round as well against, uh, let's be honest, a, a Greece team that is pretty beatable. And a lot of the the faces that yeah. we're familiar with in the NBL, whether it's Shea Ely, Zayali Arfa, Ruben Tarangi. They've been having some big moments through the first two games. It's been fun to see. Yeah, and, and Finn Delaney, yep. uh, you know, Toy Smith Milner's on that team. It's 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 a it's really cool to see just all these recognizable faces on that team. It's it's almost it's I know it's wild it's wild to me. It's almost like we they're like I, I don't know, it's like it's like seeing your friend on TV. That's what it looks like watching watching this New Zealand team, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Walter Brown over there, who's like a DP for the, the Tasmania Jack Jumpers. He's just out there standing next to Anthony Edwards. And it's like, like it, it's, it's really cool to see. Um, they gave the team USA a little scare uh, at the start of that game, but obviously things just returned to normal. Um, but that's, this, this one's important, obviously, because there's Olympic qualification situations going on here as well, where one team from Oceania uh, gets an automatic qualification to the Olympics uh via this tournament and basically whoever out of australia and new zealand progresses the furthest gets an automatic bid to paris 2024 and so australia has progressed to the second round if new zealand loses that's an automatic bid for australia for the olympics happy days for them if new zealand progresses then who knows i, I feel like it's that's up near both of them would enter that second round uh of the tournament with one loss um, and then, but yeah, whoever progresses the furthest qualifies. So that no team wants to be part of an Olympic qualifying tournament. Um, and so that is that is a fun one to look at for a bunch of reasons.
And if you are a fan of French basketball, that's why you're sitting back and saying, uh, look, we're not too fast. This isn't ideal, but we're qualified for Paris. We don't need to worry about it. <laughs> Wemby's going to be there and we'll bounce back uh, in the Olympic Games. So th- it's just another reminder, uh... though. There's, there's a lot at play here uh, with this World Cup and uh, progressing ahead. And it's going to be a really fun time watching the Boomers and, of course, the Opals when it gets to the Olympics. But uh, work to be done for the Boomers. Slovenia, again, we believe on Friday night. Whenever the tip-off is, we haven't got that confirmed uh, just yet. Pending matchups, we'll find out tomorrow. Uh, you know that uh, around 30 minutes, 40 minutes before the tip-off time, make sure you got it on ESPN World Cup Live uh, with all the names that uh, you love to hear from. Trevor Gleeson, Beck Allen, Andrew Gaze, Olgs. Narrowly Meadows, everyone's in there and having fun and breaking all this game down. So the coverage has been outstanding. And then, uh, oh, you've been doing all the stuff for the digital platforms as well. So let's face it, we're busy. But if you want to keep up to date with the World Cup, ESPN is the only place to be. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, it's, you think it's hitting so? like... Oh, it's late. Tanks. But we need a little bit more enthusiasm when we're trying to pump up the worldwide leader in sports, please. Oh, um. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Mickey Mouse, terrific. Disney, awesome. Oh um, <laughs> nah, look, it's we, it's it's look. I'd say it's, it's very enjoyable being here. It's it's really cool to just produce as much high quality content as we can. Um, I, I'm very happy that all of us as a team, like as a crew, can produce a bunch of different sorts of content. Uh, from the from pregame, like the the morning of the game, through to the pregame through the game to the post game it's it's very enjoyable to be part of this coverage um and i think uh, no one covers basketball better than what we what we're doing throughout this tournament uh, so it's enjoyable to be a part of and i think everyone should tune into it is that better i'll tell you what he had to put it in reverse <laughs> a little bit there so have you heard that beeping in the background that was just uh, old switching it into r but then he put his foot down on the gas and he really came home strong and he's exactly right. So make sure you keep it locked on ESPN, ESPN.com.au, ESPN for the television coverage. We're on absolute fire and uh, it's also extremely late. So we're both going to go and get some sleep and rest up and rejuvenate and refresh and get ready for the second round of the FIBA World Cup. Uh, all the games you can watch on the uh, on either ESPN or find them on the ESPN app as well. So keep up to date with what everyone else is doing. See what Slovenia and Georgia are up to. Do your own scouting reports and get yourself excited. I'm Kane Pittman. That's Olga Ulrich. This has been ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. And uh, we're just glad that we got through this one. Get some sleep, Olga. Night, everybody.